Let's read verse 7 again. Uh, we were still on it yesterday. <laughs> I praise the compassion and love of her song and the beings that are speaking to her suffering master, overpowered by the ignorance, like a water wheel in the wells of the resistance. can see in one verse like that there's a lot of meaning there's a lot to unpack there's a lot to meditate on and when we did the meditation initially we reflected on ourselves being as a bucket in a well it's good also to spend some time thinking of the people around you who have been kind to you as mother sentient means and think of how they are similarly like buckets and wells going down and go through those six ways of how sentient beings are like a bucket in a well but think about it in terms of real people that you know okay and and see how they're under the control of afflictions and karma you know, see how they're buffeted around by their unsubdued mind going up and down up and down, up and down. You know, if you do this, then you see sentient beings' predicament in a really big way, and the, the compassion becomes much stronger. You know? And you realize that it's not just a question of uh, doing some small thing to please somebody that's going to remove them from all their suffering. That it's it's really if we really care about others then we're going to want them to be out of cyclic existence, you know, to stop being a bucket in a well. Okay. So it, it changes our perspective and our relationship with others and how we see them. Okay. So we're going to go on to verse 8 and, and 9 today. So let's start with verse 8. You see all beings to be like ripples on the surface of a river. They do not last even a moment. I praise the compassion that focuses on phenomena, that sees them in their impermanent aspect. And then the next verse. I praise compassion that focuses on the objectless, that sees all beings, however they appear, to be empty of inherent existence, like the reflection of the moon in water. So these two verses here are referring to one particular verse in Chandrakirti's supplement, and it is um, it is verse four, the first three lines of verse four. Okay, verse three in Chandrakirti was the one that corresponded to verse seven in our text, and eight and nine con- correspond to. Uh, the first three lines of verse 4 in, in Chandrakirti's text. So Chandrakirti says, Homage to that compassion for migrators, seen as evanescent and empty of inherent existence, like a moon in rippling water. Okay. So he put it into three lines. Our author here, Lama Lasantayang, um, separated it into two different verses. It's kind of easier because um, remember I was saying at the beginning of the supplement Chandrakirti praised three different kinds of compassion so 
he has three different verses here Chanticleer he didn't okay so um, the first one verse 7 that we did was the the uh, compassion that views migrators and that views sentient beings just as migrating um, without any special qualifications and so then we see them as like a bucket in the well okay this compassion 2 and compassion 3 my, I should, shouldn't say that I should say the second and third types of compassion um, see them see have the same observed object the same object or general object I should say which is migrating beings sentient beings but it sees them qualified in slightly different ways so the second kind of compassion sees sentient beings as being qualified by impermanence and the third kind of compassion sees them as being qualified by emptiness all three kinds of compassion views sentient beings as the general object and the aspect of that compassion is wanting them to be free of suffering and its causes so sometimes when we talk about different mental states we talk about their objects and their aspects Okay, so the objects are the same, sentient beings, the aspects are the same, wanting them to be free of of cyclic existence, of suffering and its causes. But the the mixel, the the way of observing them is different. Okay, how we observe them is different because in the second type of compassion, we're seeing sentient beings as impermanent or even as lacking a self-sufficient, substantial existent self. And in the third kind of compassion, we're seeing them as empty. Okay. So this makes a difference in how the compassion is generated, how we see them influences um, kind of the feeling of the compassion. So if you hang on, you might get it. Okay, so the second kind of compassion, it's called compassion observing phenomena. Okay, but okay, it's the it's also the compassion that views sentient beings as evanescent or momentarily disintegrating, like a moon in the water that's stirred up by a breeze. Okay. So if you think of of, um, of water, you know, that's stirred up by a breeze. Here in verse 8, he just says, you see all beings to be like ripples on the surface of a river. Okay, think of ripples on the surface of a river. Do they last long? Are they fixed? Are they static? Yeah. They're, they're just ripples, aren't they? They're just changing every single moment can you stop a ripple to look at it there's no way you can stop a ripple there's no way you can make something that is changing moment by moment fixed and solid so that you can hang on to it or so that you can study it more or whatever as one isolated thing because its nature is change okay so the same thing when we're talking about sentient beings um, our nature is change we are momentarily 
disintegrating. Okay, momentarily disintegrating here means change what was is ceasing to exist. Okay, so from one moment to the next, what was is stopping, isn't it? It's disintegrating, it's changing into something else. Something is stopping, something else is coming into being. So at the same time, if there's disintegration of one moment, a moment there's a arisal, arisal, regeneration of a new moment, but none of this can be stopped because it's in the nature of change. Okay. Like the ripples going out in a river. Okay. Um, so the second kind of compassion, it... Let's talk about what it means for second beings to be impermanent. Let's talk about that first, okay? If you view sentient beings as changing moment by moment, okay, and you look at their situation, here's somebody who's changing moment by moment, who wants desperately to be happy, to avoid suffering, and what they're grasping at to make them happy are other phenomena that are also disintegrating moment by moment. Okay. So here are these sentient beings that desperately want security, that desperately are clutching to make everything fixed and predictable and comfortable and secure in order to never separate from what gives them pleasure, to never separate what they love and care for, to never have to face the fear of the unknown because the static and the, the, the present is, is permanent. Here are sentient beings who desperately want that and think that's going to be happiness and yet everything they are grasping at for happiness is changing them. Does that make some compassion arise? Can you see the fruitlessness of our endeavor? Can you get a sense of the level of obscuration on our mind? You know, that here, what are we holding on to? You know, people, possession, status, money, whatever, title, significance, all these things are changing moment by moment and we're looking for lasting, static, unchanging pleasure in them. Is that possible? Are sentient beings ignorant? (laughs) Are we ignorant? Does that ignorance lead to happiness? You know, don't you want sentient beings, yourself included, to be free of that kind of ignorance that holds things, uh, that is grasping, that is wanting things to be permanent that are not permanent and never will be fixed? Yeah. And just even our view of ourself, you know, how we want to see ourselves as something permanent. Now, we always say, I want to find out who I am, as if who I am doesn't change. You know? 
let's just find out who I am. Got that taken care of. Now I can live the rest of my life. But wait a minute. You know, our bodies disintegrating moment by moment, changing into something new. Our mind is changing moment by moment into something new. The self that is labeled independence upon these is changing moment by moment into something new. And here we are wanting, expecting, thinking we can make it all fixed and secure. Is there any secure, any chance for any security in samsara? There's no chance for any security because everything's changing moment by moment by moment. So if we're holding on to external things for security, it's a fruitless endeavor, one that's only going to produce more and more suffering. And that's what we see all the time, isn't it? In our own personal lives, in the situation of the country, all the time. You know, we're just trying to make things secure, not realizing that in their very nature they are changing and thus insecure. So instead of adapting our mind to the insecurity and learning to be okay with the fact that ourself and everything around us is changing moment by moment, in our ignorance we are fighting the reality of the situation saying I gotta make it fixed okay yeah. this new thing that I got is not gonna change it's gonna always be this way and it's always gonna make me happy this person that I think is so wonderful is not gonna get old and sick and die they're going to remain good looking like they are right now. Now, I'm not going to get old and sick and die either. I'm always going to be this fixed. Okay. It's impossible, isn't it? Yeah. So that, that view you can see is a recipe for disaster because there's no way it can bring any happiness. But rather than let go of that view, we just fight the reality of the situation and keep on again and again and again and again, clutching to things, trying to make them fixed, thinking, you know, or thinking they are fixed, and they're not. Okay. So when you really think about that as being the situation of sentient beings, when you really think about it as being your own personal situation, you know, I mean, look at how we're living our lives. Yeah. And then we have to have some compassion for ourselves and compassion for others because we, we get some little glimmer of the depth of the ignorance that we're living in. You know, how out of touch with reality our mind is. And here we're only talking about the reality of change. You know, let alone all the other misconceptions and things that we hang on to incorrectly. Okay. Okay. So you see that when we see sentient beings as impermanent, as qualified by impermanence, you see how the flavor of the compassion is a little bit different? 
It still has the same aspect, wanting sentient beings to be free of suffering and its causes. But it's a lot deeper because we, we kind of understand what the suffering is even more deeply than we did with the first kind of suffering where we were just seeing ourselves and others buffeted around by afflictions and karma like a bucket and water in the well. So this compassion does not perceive impermanence, okay? It perceives sentient beings qualified by impermanence. So to have this kind of compassion, first you have to meditate on impermanence. Okay? These functioning things are impermanent because they're a product of causes. You get some feeling for impermanence. And that mind that's meditating on, on impermanence might see impermanence directly or indirectly. But then we come out of that meditation and now we're focusing on sentient beings as being qualified by impermanence. So we're using the force of our previous meditation on impermanence to influence how we're viewing sentient beings now. So that compassion doesn't perceive impermanence. It's focused on sentient beings, but it's influenced by that mind that previously was able to see impermanence. Okay? Okay, so the compassion itself doesn't apprehend the sentient beings as impermanent. You know, they talk a lot about um, different cognitions, different mental states having an object and an aspect. So the object is sentient beings, the aspect is wanting them to be free of suffering and its causes. The way we're seeing sentient beings here in the second type of compassion is we're seeing sentient beings as the object qualified by being impermanent. But that compassionate mind doesn't see impermanence directly because it's seeing sentient beings. Okay? So how do we see sentient beings as impermanent? Is we do some meditation on impermanence. Okay? We meditate on, on impermanence. And there's a variety of ways to do that. Get some understanding of impermanence. Okay? come out of that meditation but our mind is still influenced by the understanding of impermanence so that then when we focus on sentient beings we can see sentient beings as qualified by impermanence even though we're not directly perceiving impermanence at that time okay what would be an example can't think of one but you know, we, I mean, it's it's kind of as we have one experience, and then that experience influences what happens next, even though we aren't perceiving the thing we perceived before. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. It's like that. Okay. So. Um, you and traffic, anyway, work like the field, and then you get to work in it. 
Yeah, right. Like that. You know, you've been influenced by something that happened before, even though what you're seeing now is something different. Okay? Yeah, so it's like that. Okay, so we're seeing sentient beings as being qualified by momentary impermanence. When we see sentient beings as impermanent, you know, as changing moment by moment by moment by moment by moment, then from our side, our view of seeing them as permanent, partless, and unrelated to cause, independent of causes and conditions, that view of sentient beings as having some kind of permanent soul is eradicated. You know, we can't see per- sentient beings as impermanent and at the same time think that they have a permanent soul. Those two things are opposite. Okay? So when we see sentient beings as qualified by impermanent, then this thought that they have a permanent soul, you know, goes out of the mind. It, it's not eradicated from the root, but it goes out of the mind at that moment. And when we see that there's no permanent soul that's independent of causes and conditions, then we can see that there's no sentient beings who are different entities than their body and mind, different entities than their aggregates. Okay? Why not? Because when we think that there is a permanent soul, okay, our idea of a permanent soul is that it's completely different than our body and mind. Isn't it? You know, there's this body and mind, okay, they're changing all the time, but there's this permanent soul that's me that's going to endure past my death. And when I die, this soul's going to come up and go plunk into another body or go to heaven or go to hell or whatever you happen to believe, okay? But it's something that's unchanging. Well, when you see sentient beings as qualified by impermanent, by impermanence, then you see that there can't be a permanent soul. So then you see there can't be some sentient being that is different than its body and mind, because that's what a permanent soul is, a sentient being that's different than their body and mind. Okay? So you see, you get to the point where you see that there can't be a sentient being that is totally separate from their body and mind. So what's the only other alternative? That sentient beings exist by being designated on the collection of their body and mind. Okay? So, you know, your understanding of how sentient beings exist is evolving here. Okay? They're impermanent, so there's no permanent soul, so there's no permanent soul that's a sentient being that's different that's different entities than the body and mind but sentient beings still exist so they're designated you know on the collection of the body and mind okay so you're seeing them that that they must that who sentient beings are is must be something that's related to the body and mind Okay, so why this second, this is all explained so that you understand why this second kind of compassion is called the compassion observing phenomena. Because it's actually, what it's, it's 
called the compassion observing phenomena because you're observing sentient beings who are designated to the mere phenomena of their body and mind. Okay? You get it now? So you get how, how we got there? Mm-hmm. So, co- compassion observing phenomena is an abbreviation for compassion observing sentient beings who are designated, you know, um, to mere phenomena. It's a contraction, like don't. <laughs> okay? We use contractions all the time. Yeah. Or we say FEMA. <laughs> Everybody knows FEMA. Okay, it's a contraction. So they say compassion observing phenomena. It's a contraction. Don't you get it? You know, they just contract things differently than we do. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so that's why it's not totally obvious to us at first. Okay? So compassion observing phenomena because it observes sentient beings who are designated to the mere phenomena of their body and mind. Okay? So there's no... We're seeing sentient beings don't have any permanent self there. You know? So all of our... All this grasping we have, you know, there's... You know, soulmates. Good example. You know? We have permanent souls... And we are soulmates in all of our lives. Okay? You get rid of that conception when you have this kind of compassion. Because you realize there's no permanent soul. There's no permanent soul, you can't be soulmates. Yeah? If there's no permanent soul, you know, then, then there's nothing for somebody else to snatch and take to heaven yeah for those of you who were considering being Christian yesterday (laughs) okay so think about it you know because we really grew up believing that there was some permanent soul didn't we you know there's some permanent permanent something that is you that doesn't change that God created but you can't find it when you look for it can't find it because if there was some kind of permanent soul then how could we change if there were a permanent soul how could you start out as a baby and become an adult and then get old you know, unless you posit that the soul is completely unrelated to the aggregates, then the soul cannot age, but the body and mind can age. Yeah? Then if that soul is you, okay, then you say, I don't age. I don't grow old. This is exactly what the people in the media want. <laughs> you know? Okay, but is that true? You know, if you label I, if if I is that permanent soul, then you can't say I grew up. You can't say I learned anything, because a permanent soul can't learn anything because learning involves change. 
permanent soul can't walk because it's not the body so we can no longer say I walk it gets kind of difficult if there's a permanent soul because what is it that is learning and aging and that means if there's a permanent soul that means we're never going to learn from our mistakes that's bad news isn't it if we don't learn from our mistakes there's a permanent something that's me that is me forever and ever that can never learn because learning involves change hold your questions for a minute just think about this before you ask questions spend a meditation session on this first now because we're really uh, challenging some of our our western ideas here and uh, you know some of our most cherished things that somehow there's this thing that's me that is never going to be harmed because it's permanent well if that's the truth why do we fear suffering so much okay we can see that our own experience completely invalidates this belief that there's some permanent person you know just our experience you can't hold on to our experience and at the same you know or look at our experience and at the same time believe that there's something that is unchanging that is definitely you that will continue on hmm? cross that one off but it makes us feel a little bit insecure doesn't it because if there's no permanent me then what will I become yeah then there's no permanent heaven then there's nobody who's going to you know carry me up there for everlasting happiness okay so, so what, what's going to happen after death if there's no permanent me who am I going to be you know it's scary ego doesn't like to think about that okay? but it's very good if we think about it yeah better we think about it now when we have a chance to prepare for death yeah. then get to arrive at the time of death and just uh, you know refuse to accept the reality of the situation I think that's actually what you know if you think about the fear of death we have and why we don't like to think about it you know I mean we just don't want to think about reality do we only reality TV but not reality yeah not reality yeah. so why why don't we like to think about reality because it involves change it involves that maybe you know we're not fixed people who are always going to be the same and you know who knows what we're going to become and 
you know, we're so attached to all these things around us, holding them as permanent when they're changing moment by moment, and we don't want to think of ever being separated from all these things. But the reality of the situation is that we're changing moment by moment, and they're changing moment by moment, and how is it that separation is not going to happen? Now, in the scriptures they say that the result of coming together is separation. As soon as you come together, separation is guaranteed. How do we feel about separating from our loved ones? How do we feel about separating from our house and our job? How do we feel about separating from everything all at once? without any choice and with nobody to complain to (laughs) you know who are we going to complain to when we're dying Mm -hmm. so I think it it can can be very good for us to think about this you know think about how things are changing and where are we putting our energy are we putting it into anything that you know, is going to go with us into our next lives, our future lives? Or are we putting our energy into something that, you know, is degenerating moment by moment and that we can't take with us? Yeah. I mean, think of how much time we spend pampering this body. Does this body come with us to future lives? Forget it. Okay. But, boy, do we pamper it. We want it to be comfortable and have good food and, you know, look nice and see nice things. We're so attached to pleasures of our senses. This body doesn't even come back. I mean, come with us. You know, what does this body become? It becomes a corpse. Yeah. Have you ever visualized yourself as a corpse? Yeah. It can be very interesting. Not nice one of those nice embalmed corpses. <laughs> it looks like they're you know, you're sleeping. Yeah. I remember my high school friend, uh, when her mother died. Her mother had Hodgkins. And I remember some people say, Oh, I haven't seen her look so good in a long you know so don't think of yourself as looking good in one of those nice comfy you know caskets all of a sudden they've taken away all your wrinkles you look better than you did in life and everybody's going how beautiful you are now think you know imagine what you look like (coughs) as a real corpse Very interesting. One of my friends uh, works in Thailand, and he sent me um, a CD with uh, photos of some of the tsunami victims, uh, you know, that they were using to try and identify who these people were. Absolutely incredible. I don't know if you've seen any of this just amazing some of the people had their IDs on them so sometimes they show the the person with their ID you couldn't tell in most cases 
the bad ID belonged to that person. The bodies look so totally different than the people. And the picture was taken, I think, maybe just one day afterwards. You know, but just one day in the water, body completely disfigured. So, could have been us. Could be us. We don't know how we're going to die. So, you know, how, how we, what's the healthy relationship to have to this body, knowing that it's not going to come with us at the time of death? How can we use this body in a beneficial way while we're alive to create some positive potential that will come with us at the time of death? Or do we use this body basically, you know, to feed our attachments? Good sights, good sounds, good smells, good tastes, good touches. And and what is all of that going to do for us at the time we die? All of our pleasures, like last night's dream. Remember all the pleasure you had when you were a teenager? Where is it now? And yet, look at us, you know, how we are so grasping at pleasure, moment by moment, trying to make pleasure permanent when its very nature is transient like this. a little meditation now. Excuse me for not answering people's hands or out, but I think meditation is more valuable. Sometimes words distract us from the reality of our situation. <coughs>